Now is your time to flinch. What up, everybody, and welcome back to the 13th floor, where the furniture isn't always the best, but the views are amazing. This podcast is brought to you by the motivators at Fledgeology, where the mantra is always leap, grow, fly. Of course, Fledgeology is the motivational speaking and life coaching company that is committed to exposing you to the potential of your dreams by getting you to embrace your fears so that you can get out of your comfort zone and on to living that purpose driven life. As always, I'm your host, the moderator, B. Jones, and we got another special edition podcast or Fledgecast, as we like to say here on the 13th floor in Fledgeology, introducing you to another team member with Fledgeology. We got BJ. Mr. Logistics, a.k.a. Wheezy, Brian Jones coming to the show today. What's happening, sir? Hey, hey, good to be here, man. It's like, I, I need my team music. Bring them out, bring them out, bring them out. <laughs> Let's go. Let's roll, baby. Everybody's bringing their theme music to the 13th floor, it seems like. So, yeah, go ahead, Fresh. Give him that for a second. We're going to introduce him one more time. So, bring it to the stage. Wheezy, oh, oh. Mr. Logistics. The man behind the scenes with everything Fledgeology, Brian Jones, what's happening? Welcome to the show. Everything's good, baby. Glad to be here. Glad to be here. Good to see everything's going on. Proud to be part of this team and ready to make this happen, man. Easy. We're here about to change some lives, man. Easy, easy. Of course, BJ's out here changing lives one child at a time as an educator in the field. Um, but we're going to get into all of that here on the show because it's all about Wheezy today. And that's one of the first things <laughs> that I want to jump into because Fresh is always like, oh, Wheezy got it. Wheezy this, Wheezy that. I knew that was coming. I knew that was Where coming. Where does the Wheezy come from? So it's it's a it's an interesting story, but not a complicated one. A bunch of misunderstandings led to a nickname. So um, <clears throat> back in undergrad, we were um, happened to be at a a um a rap party, you know, a rap old rap party when the rap was still in its old form, old flesh. Back in the day, it was a, a CSA Caribbean Students Association party, so you know we had a good time that night. Um, but afterwards, there was some some guys visiting campus from I don't know, really know where they were from, but um, all of a sudden they jumped on one of the signals on campus. Um, and we were like eight or nine against one. And I'm standing there, we're all out there witnessing what's going on. And I'm looking like his frat brothers ain't doing nothing at that point in time. So I'm like, look, I'm not about to fight for you, but we also don't do that here. You, we about to get you up out of here. So I ran in and grabbed him. Um, and when people saw me run in, they started jumping in too. But lo and behold, once everything was said and done, I'm the one who caught the pepper spray um, from the campus police. Dang. Which was not at that point in time, I actually worked for the campus police, so it was like a double shot. No matter what I did, I can't, I couldn't win at that point. Um, but I caught the the pepper spray out of everybody in the crowd, and this I, I had it so bad, everything going bad. They thought I had asthma. So later on that line, um, when we joined player, I was invited to the Brotherhood of Players Oasis. Shout out the Players Oasis. We um. When they it gave me my name, that kind of stuck around, not knowing that I did not have asthma, and there was no way to change my name. So I kind of stuck with it, rolled with it over the years. So Wheezy is what they call me, and that's what we go with. Okay, cool, man, cool, man. So you know, as we've been doing on the 13th floor, we're introducing the members. We want to kind of get to know Brian Jones, where you came from, you know, what your life has been like, your maturation process, and all the way up until when you came to Fledgeology. So we're going to start, man, in the beginning. Where you from, man? Where'd you grow up at? 
born and raised in Cincinnati, Ohio. Shout out to the 513. Um, it kind of molded me and made me to what I am today. Um, and really why I'm not in the 513 right now is really because of the childhood I had. Not really in a negative way, but push for more. Um, and it, it could, again, we could talk about that some more as we go along. But born and raised there, my entire life was until I graduated high school. I'm probably one of the ones of the group that when we start comparing stories, like my childhood home is still where my sister's at today. Um, when I left for college, um, my mom and dad stayed there. Um, my father passed away back in 03, um, but my mom continued to live there. Then I went back home for a few years to take over the house to help her out. Then when I left to come back to Miami, my sister moved back in the house. So it's, it's we've had the same house number, the same phone number, everything since I was born in 81. I think I think I want to say my parents bought the house in 77. So it's, 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 it's there, it's still standing and we're still making things happen, man. OK, and you mentioned you had a sister. So that's your only sibling. Yeah, I got one older sister, two years older than me. She like to call me her big little brother, though. Oh, I think okay. I kind of take over the. I take we kind of switch roles when we come to that. <laughs> That's cool, man. So how was it growing up in Cincinnati? I mean, growing up Midwest, growing up up north. First of all, it's cold compared to living down here, so we won't get into that. It's a whole another story itself. But um, just I, I can't complain. My childhood was that of my parents were working class. They sent us we product of the public school. I'm a big believer in public schools. I work for the public education system. Um, but opportunities are what my parents always provided for us. So whatever, if we wanted to try something, do something, they found a way to help us make it happen. Um, between them and my grandparents, um, there really wasn't a situation where we not might not have had it all, but we thought we were kings of the world. Mm -hmm. um, and we didn't know any better because the way they made us feel about everything, we we thought we had everything it wasn't until later on in life i realized like look there was some things going on in the household that my mom and dad like kept to themselves but they handled their business um so much respect for them because in the true essence i think that's what's missing today keeping adult business from kids mm -hmm. and let kids so, so they let us do that they handled adult, adult stuff and we both grew up to do what we do now okay that's cool and you mentioned down here so where are you at now I'm currently in Miami. I actually only for about another week or so officially. Um, I've been back here since 2011 when I moved back from Ohio. Um, but I'll be in a resident of Broward County in a couple of weeks, officially closing on the house next week. So it's on the bigger and better things, man. Every day is about progress. Congratulations, man. First house? Yeah, first house. So family, me and the family we, um, have been written since we've been down here trying to get everything in order and we finally took that step and like you know what we gotta do something for us so as yes. of next week we'll be official man and for the fledgeology team so when is the house warming groove that's what we really want to know hey we're gonna keep that on low because i can't have everybody just pop up out of nowhere because uh, <laughs> i got people talking about flying in out of nowhere but just coming for a visit man like that's what happens when you, you get a house you get room and people are like i'm coming to visit Hey, where were you the other 10 years I've been down here? But, hey, whatever. <laughs> That's we'll true, man. That's true. Do you have a pool? Yes, sir. Oh, um, oh it's going on. It, see, and that, that was the, the big debate between my wife and I. Um, but when we looked at it, this move is really, I mean, we're doing things to, for us, but this move is really for the kids. I um, mean, when we looked at houses, we decided that a pool was one of our top priorities. Mm -hmm. Um do something for them they've sacrificed a lot um 
sharing rooms and doing without bikes because we don't have room to store bikes or even ride them around the neighborhood right now. So they've sacrificed a lot of stuff, we felt. So this move is for them. So a lot of things we're going to be doing. Um, the pool is for them. The extra room, they each got their own room now. So we're going to be doing some, trying to make things happen for them, man. Same, same thing my parents did for us is we need to pass it on to the next generation. Oh, that man, that sounds awesome, man. So the family, what does the family look like? You, the wife, the kids? Me, my wife, um, and then three kids. My oldest son, Mason, he's in 10 and in fifth grade. It's hard to say that it's been 10 years that quick. I remember him being just born and we kicking it down on Hume's campus. Um, I had, yeah, it seems like yesterday, but, um, <laughs> they have a set of twins, boy, girl twins that are eight in third grade here in Miami-Dade County. Wow, set of twins, man. I always thought I wanted to have twins, but I was always scared of like mixing them up as babies. Like, did you go through that? <laughs> <laughs> well, luckily I, I had boy girl twins, so I didn't have to worry about that. Ah. But the twins I did, I do know, uh, the identical twins I do know, there's always some distinguishing mark somewhere, somehow, right. something. But most parents, outside of the parents and close family, you'll never realize it because it's something minute. Mm. Um, that most original people don't pick up on it, but now nah, we never had an issue. Luckily, thank God. Okay, okay. So growing up in Cincinnati, Ohio, you know, we kind of touched on that a little bit. But how were how how was your high school experience? Because I know most of us kind of kind of find out who we are in high school, and that tends to kind of lead us into you know what we are going to grow into. So how was high school for you? High school for me, it was interesting. I, I, that's the best way to put it. Um, first thing growing up, I'm two years behind my sister, like I mentioned earlier, but um, all the schools we went to from elementary to middle of high school, I'm two years behind her. So by the time I enter high school, she's entering her junior year. Um, she had made a name for herself already. She, in fact, her senior year, she graduated validated toy of her class. So okay. you can imagine the academic piece from her I had to live up to the name of Stephanie's little brother my entire life. Um, here comes Stephanie's little brother. Oh, he's Stephanie's little brother. So my freshman and sophomore year were just kind of making a name for myself. But even doing this right now is kind of outside of my real comfort zone, but I'm happy to do it because of the team. Um, I'm an introvert no matter what anybody thinks. Um, by the true sense of the word, I would rather be by myself home watching TV than go out to a party, go out to do anything else, um, be in a crowd, whatever. But I've learned over the years that certain situations cause for you to step to the plate and take a leadership position or step to the front, um, not to necessarily be noticed, but to help the movement. Um, so in high school, I started doing those things. And when she left, um, going into my junior year, and I'm, I finally became Brian Jones, not Stephanie's little brother anymore. <laughs> like my last two years, I got to start making a name for myself. Um, so, I mean, it was nothing horrible, but at the same time, it was like living up to that name and trying to prove something because I, I'm coming behind her. So I, I don't blame her for that. She, hey, she, she made things happen. I mean, she had a full ride to college. She did everything she needed to do. So, hey, more power to her. Right, right. So how did you end up transitioning down to Miami? So coming up through school, math and science were always like my favorite subjects. And really, I didn't really have to study for anything 
for math and science related. I mean, if we sat in class and talked about it or did hands-on stuff, I got it. Um, but actually, we had the opportunity to join um, Cincinnati Academy of Math and Science. Shout out to Cambridge Class of 99. Um, we were a dynamic group from all over the city that came together and is focused around math and science leading toward engineering. Now, many of us didn't go into engineering, many people didn't go into the engineering field, but I was one of those ones that talking to people coming through high school was like, you know what, math and science, you wanna make some money, you should go to engineering. So what did BJ do? Take up engineering. engineering. <laughs> I went to engineering, I don't know why, they said I had a lot of, there was a lot of potential to make money back then. So, hey, why not? I'm going to school anyway. Might as well make some money after I get done with it. So the engineering program is what led me here because they had interviews for UM. I don't know how I my name got pulled or whatever. I, I really can't tell you how. Um, by luck, I had a face-to-face -face interview with a, um admissions officer probably in like September, October of my senior year. Um, and... We met, talked about some information. I got excited about everything that was going on. They left, and I'm like, hmm, that's a contender. So mm -hmm. let's see what happens. Mm -hmm. um, but I actually ended up applying for the engineering, the college of engineering here at UM. Um, but again, it was actually by God's grace and by a series of events that I made it here. Because at the end of the day, I had decided I wasn't coming to UM just because of the price, the cost. Yeah, man, that uh, that forty thousand dollars a year is pretty steep, you know. Yes, sir. So if you don't have too much scholarship, I could definitely understand that decision. Uh, but you made it down there, you know. You, so you started in engineering. Did you finish with engineering? Um, I started at school of college of engineering that first year, and I quickly learned that um, I wasn't happy. It mm -hmm. wasn't that it was too challenging, too hard, or anything. It was, I mean, it was challenging enough. Don't get me wrong. But it wasn't that it was too hard. I just, I hated it. <laughs> it got to the point where I like, I, I don't want to go to class today because I don't like this. And it really was because the, the programming, I didn't want to program. I wanted to work with hardware. And I noticed that theme um, in a couple of people's interviews when I, when I listen to you and I listen to Art talk. Um, I wanted hands on. In fact, it was crazy because um, one of the guys I met out of there who has a grad, finished graduate in engineering, we became roommates my sophomore year. Um, mm -hmm. We actually started building and selling computers out of our dorm room. Oh, yeah? Like, that's the stuff I wanted to do. Uh -huh. Like, my software here, we were putting together computers, selling it, selling the students on campus, getting all the software and everything, and just selling them out of our dorm room, making some side money. Mm -hmm. um, but that programming piece, man, that's staying up. You got an 8 o'clock class programming and staying up to 5, 6, running programs and finding errors. That, that was for the birds, man. I had I couldn't. My nerves were too bad for that. <laughs> yeah, man. I can remember one time I was actually pledging at the time and I was taking my first programming class and, you know, I had my meeting and then I had to come back and I was literally up until the next class because I had to write a program for some airline thing where they picked the seats or whatever. So, yeah, man, I mean, I ended up finishing the CIS, but that programming piece was I was trying to get as far away from that as possible. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned that, too, because actually during that freshman year, I was I was online as well, um, Alpha. And then it was really during that time I had to do some soul searching because I think we all do some soul search, soul searching during those days. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but at, at that point in time, I was like, look, I, I 
this class stuff one class is for this is is boring so i need to figure out why i'm here and what i'm gonna do um and then i ended up actually deciding um after reflection on a whole bunch of things that um education was where i needed to be and i made the switch but the problem was i had completed a year and a half um sorry i completed a full year of the college engineering courses um and I had already registered for the fall, so I had to finish out the fall courses, unfortunately, um, because the school education wasn't accepting transfers at that point in time. Mm-hmm. So I really lost a year and a half. So I actually ended up leaving UM after five and a half years instead of traditional four. Hey, man, it's all good. Them extra semesters, you know, you get the boogie down a little bit more. Hey, we can't like I had a good time my entire career. I was <laughs> career so I can't complain about nothing, man. Good Exactly. So, um, you mentioned, you know, being involved with Alpha Phi Alpha. Uh, were there any other organizations that you were involved with at your time at UM? Yeah, the most important one. I mean, well, first starting off that freshman year, you don't have much time to do anything, especially in the engineering. Um, well, I didn't have in the College of Engineering, you don't have much time to do anything. Yeah, it's a bunch um, of 18 so credits, 20 credit semesters. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Take 20, 21 credits. Don't leave you time for anything. Um, so I joined Nesby, National Society of Black Engineers. But um, after my, when I decided that I was leaving college education and going back to college of engineering, excuse me, and going to education, um, I started getting more involved. Cause really, why I was really there was for one organization. United Black Students Athlete is what helped make my decision and transition to UM um, possible. So I was heavily involved with United Black Students from that point on, um, even to this day. I'm not as involved as I'd like to, but I'm still connected with them. Um, and that's been, what, 18 years now. So okay. one way or another, one way or another, I've been connected with them since day one, since my first visit to UM doing Harambe. Okay. Um, many other organizations throughout throughout the campus, um, but that list can go on and on because I was, I was heavily involved. Okay. What do you think is probably one of the greatest lessons that you learned while you were down there at University of Miami. Learn the system, learn how the system works and make it work to your advantage. And why do you say that? There's a lot of things that you come to college and I don't believe anybody comes to college unless there were certain experiences in life where you're around the a college campus and how everything flows on a daily basis mm-hmm. um like i know like ian's mom worked for the university i know um other people had individuals near university or in college life in general um around or maybe had older brothers and sisters they went to and heard about i didn't have that and most people i know didn't have that um but the politics and the system set up are there for your benefit but most people don't know what those systems are. So when you're talking about access to scholarships, access to internships, access to just opportunities to build a name for yourself around the university, and then have that transcend after you leave to still do stuff and still um, be called on to have your name recognized by people when you go back 10 years later, mm-hmm. is, a, is a chance to leave a mark on something in a positive way way because we didn't have that many blacks at UM. If you look at the overall numbers, they're skewed. Would right. they tell you those manuals are not correct? Right. And if they do, if they are counting correctly, then the majority of people that they, they're counting are athletes 
um, that aren't involved in your everyday mm-hmm. activities on campus because they're involved in that part of, of college life. Right. They're involved in university sports where they're um, they're on the road, they're practicing, they're in, in weight training, they're in in the gym, they're doing whatever, but they're not an active part of college day-to-day life. Gotcha. So those numbers are very, very skewed. Um, but again, the diversity at UM was one of the biggest things that drew me there. Um, because I didn't get that in Cincinnati. It was way, way different than Cincinnati. <laughs> I can imagine that. Um, so when did you actually cross paths with Ian and Carol and maybe even Art during your tenure at, you know, UM? So uh, for Carol and Ian, it had to go, I have to go back to my first visit um, during Harambe in February of 99, my senior year of high school still. Um, Harambe weekend was actually a great event. I, I I can't say that it's still that today, um, but there's been a lot of change around the university. So understand what change is change. <laughs> it affects other things. Um, but at that point in time, UBS, United Black Students, hosted and ran um, Harambe weekend, which is a weekend for minority students to come to visit campus. Um, I think we got there on like a Thursday night. Um, all day Friday, you spent, you were paired up with a current student who lived on campus. Um, you slept in their room, you used that, that whatever dorm they then used those restrooms and bathroom to get the real experience. Um, and then you went to classes the next day on Friday. You had workshops with admissions and financial aid and all that stuff. Um, of course, there were some parties. Right. <laughs> there were some other things going on. So we were there basically from Thursday night till about Sunday, I believe. Yeah, it was like Sunday when everybody left to go back home. Now I'm coming from the Midwest, down which is cold in February, down to Miami for the weekend. So I made sure I had a good time. But I crossed paths with those two um, during that weekend because they were already here at, student, at, at the students at the U. Oh, okay. And when y'all crossed paths, was it like an instant click or was there a little bit of friction? How did that relationship work out? Initially, it was just like... It was more of me being the one looking around and looking for people to connect with mm-hmm. um, and, and seeing them as active participants in the community around UM um, and just kind of seeing, I like that. I like what they're doing. I want to be a part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the real actual connection and relationship building, I can honestly say, really didn't start until maybe once or twice interactions during freshman year, but really coming around and getting involved and being a part of things as a whole that they were involved in wasn't until my sophomore year um after after i had pledged after switching school education after getting more involved in in campus okay so it sounds like you did a whole lot while you were down there did you have to deal with any type of adversity during your tenure at UN? adversity comes in in many different aspects i mean you can talk about the family situation you can talk about financial situation you could talk about issues on campus there were there were many things we dealt with on campus um as a community at that time um i ended up taking on more leadership responsibilities probably through pushing pushing of me from carol right. um once he became ubs president and he was already bomb president brothers overcoming negativity and destruction um so his leadership there kind of thrust me into other avenues um that i probably wouldn't have stepped up myself but hey I welcomed it, um, but I think 
Kira has a knack for seeing things in people mm-hmm. that they don't see in themselves and kind of pushing you out that way and let you figure it out for yourself. There, there's something there's something he sees and he does that all the time. I'm, I'm amazed by it when I see it, but he does it probably with anybody he's close with can have a story about when they've had that experience with him. Okay, so what's your story? So for me it was he was already again he was heavily involved in UBS um and Ali Harambe was coming up my Ali the Harambe weekend was my freshman year um was probably the one thing with UBS I did get involved in because of my experience the year before mm-hmm. um and at that point in time he was on the e-board he wasn't president yet um he was on the e-board and there were just different events going on so at one point in time I just remember we had to grill some chicken, man. We had to grill chicken for all the people that were visiting. So, and so let's back up. So this is my my introduction to Moho, because coming from the north, <laughs> I had no idea what Moho sauce is. The Moho season marinade is, and if y'all don't know, y'all missing out on treats. So ask somebody from oh, my man, the area Moho, Moho is, is a priceless, so, priceless gem when you season exactly. the chicken, man. Yeah. So, but so here's the thing. So here's here's what maybe 30, 35 people visiting from out of state plus the UBS um, participants that are there. So maybe about sixty people we got a grilled chicken for. Mm-hmm. So imagine how much chicken we have. So imagine when those tubs you move in the big blue forty gallon, um, probably 40, 35 gallon tubs. So thirty five people. people? We had we had that chicken mm-hmm. and moho and that mixed up as the marinade yeah and that was that was like my first experience in grilling on a rock with a grill that cooks slow as molasses man. <laughs> and, and people waiting for chicken getting mad at you so hey that was my first experience like side by side with him but as years grown we did many different organizations um between united blasters bond um rascal advisory board homecoming committee um we were side by side in a lot of things um it was just that extra, it just the relationship built over the years, man. And then he became president of United Black Students. And at that point in time, I was on his e-board as the um, communications chair. Mm-hmm. Um, so I handled all the communications for United Black Students for that year. And it was after that, it was just kind of, so what are you going to do next, PJ? What's your next move? Right. So I wasn't thinking about that like that, but hey, I ended up being, two years later, I ended up being president of United Black Students. Um, and a couple other things happened because Ali, because of him and his efforts around campus and pushing me towards it. So that's Coach K, man. That's why I call him Coach K. That's that's amazing, man. So let's oh, talk man, about man. the uh, the education piece a little bit. So so what do you do now for education again? All right. So currently, I work for the Florida Department of Education um, under the Bureau of School Improvement. Mm-hmm. So basically, for those who don't know, the state of Florida implemented a school grading system years back when FCAT first started. So um, based on certain criteria, a big portion of that is how students perform on the state standardized tests. Um, schools are assigned a grade. Um, there are a lot more factors in that as well, especially when you get to like middle school and high school. Um, but a lot of it is just straight performance. How do the kids perform on those tests? Um, so schools that earn a grade of D or F fall into a category of differentiated accountability. Basically, their approach and their their support system has to be different than those schools that are achieving. Um, so my division is DA, differentiated accountability, under the Bureau of School Improvement. So we support all those schools in the state of Florida that fall into that D or F category. Now, for me, 
Um, over the years, I've moved up. I'm actually now the assistant director for our region. So we oversee about 200 schools that fall in that category between Miami all the way up the 95 Turnpike Corridor to Orlando and actually move over a little bit west to Lake County and um, Polk County as well. Okay. What got you into education? Like, what was it that, I guess, started that spark for you knowing that, you know, this is where I need to be? So that in that soul searching of, of trying to figure out what to do next or where I want to go, one of the biggest factors was ego. I have to be totally honest because mm-hmm. there were many people from Ohio that said I shouldn't have left. That um, I, I might have be down there for a little bit, but I'll find my way back home because it wasn't it wasn't made for me. Things like that. And these people you call your friends um, who think they're speaking truth into you, think they're speaking life into you, but. Um, and some people fall victim to that, but I was determined to prove them wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I decided engineering was not my calling, um, I had to think about what was it that I, I had passion for, I like to do, because I was not going to go back home to Ohio and just figure it out. Um, I was staying down in Miami. And when I thought about it, um, a lot of the things I used to do in high school, growing up, middle school, going into high school, um, were programs and organizations that taught different things. One big one was Teen Institute, um, a drug and alcohol prevention program that I was part of from seventh grade on up through high school, actually beyond that as well. Um, But what we did, we did a lot of trainings and teachings at the elementary and middle school level. Um, We would go down and do different shows for them, do different trainings. But also after I left school, I would always go tutor like three or four days a week at an elementary school um, in a neighborhood nearby before I went to actually work at night. Um, but when I thought back, I would, I'd be sick and call off of work or not do this and that, but I would never miss any of those days working with those kids at the school, man. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I really put everything in perspective, like that's where I, I had joy. I was not always happy. I was always upbeat, um, always excited, energized to be around the kids. And then after that, like, you know, whatever else. So I, I took that as maybe that's where i need to be that's when i switched over to education and it's been a smooth ride ever since man okay so what would you say your ideal educational system would be because you know there's a lot of talk around the public school system versus the charter school system which is really still kind of public school then you got the private school system so what would you think what do you think is the ideal situation i guess your opinion um like I said earlier, I'm a product of public schools. Mm-hmm. Um, me and my sister, I, I believe I believe in public schools. I believe there's a lot of things that are tearing down our public education system right now. A lot of it is political, and it starts up in Washington D.C. Um, especially right now, um, that's a hotbed, um, which is why at the government level, this this is for the birds, man. I gotta get back with kids soon. But again, that's 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 a whole story. <laughs> you now with the bureaucracy and the, the politics of the situation, huh? Exactly. But when I um, ideally, if you look at public, you look at charters, you look at the parochial, the Catholic system, the private schools that are out there. Private schools and the parochial system, they're out there because of those either those quote unquote elite neighborhoods mm-hmm. wanted a separate system and thought they could do it better than themselves. Okay, they wanted a different system than everybody else. You got it. Catholic system has has been around for generations by the Catholic Church between funding and all that stuff. Great, you got it. 
the biggest, I don't even want to say biggest threat, the biggest misinterpretation I believe right now is charter schools and the way they were funded um, early 2000s going into now, um, that everybody just popped up with a charter school out of the blue. Mm-hmm. Um, if you fill out the paperwork, hey, I got a charter school in my house back in the back. We put up a tent. We were running a charter school. <laughs> and that, that really was the feel of it. Um, but if you look at the true intent of charter schools and how it's written, a charter school is supposed to be offered to to a community, to a group as an alternative to the education that they're getting in the public school system. Not being, oh, we have different teachers and our curriculum is different as far as we use a different reading base or we have a different math book. No, it's supposed to be a different um, style altogether. So let's just say my traditional public school in my neighborhood is not performing where it needs to be mm-hmm. or it's not providing my child what it needs, what, it, what they need. Here's a Montessori charter school over here that they offer a different way of thinking and an approach that the kids can can interact with the curriculum. That is what a charter school is supposed to be. That's one example. Or it may be a charter school for the arts. It may be a charter school for STEM, um, which over the years, everybody's going to STEM education now. So that really wouldn't even be an alternative today unless there was something big and bad about what they were doing specifically there at that charter school. But it's supposed to offer an alternative to what was going on in traditional public school setting. Um, And that has people misinterpret that and and ran with it in in some in a lot of cases not all wasting money across the board because you got to realize there are public charters and there are private charters Mm -hmm. the private charters are those funded by um maybe organizations or businesses and the money is funneled that way public charters are actually funded through the same system as the public education system most people don't know that so if I have a public charter down here that anybody can go to that is still paid by the taxpayers' money, they're still getting the same amount of money per child. They don't have all the stipulations as far as special education and that goes, which is another top button for me. Um, so they don't have to provide all the services, even the, legally they don't have to. It's, go ask DeVos in her speech, but that's another soapbox I won't get on either. <laughs> I think that that's kind of interesting, though, when you said that they still get the same funding as the public schools because i would think that you know the governments whether they be state local or you know national you would just want to funnel that money to provide those resources to the public schools that may be struggling right and that would make sense um and when you spell it out and put it all out there it makes sense when you and you said but the general masses do not understand that so when they say this charter popped up next door down the street from my right. child's public school oh they must be better it's the same money coming from in here at day county it's the same money come from the charter school division of miami day county public schools coming from the taxpayers money probably about the same cost per child in that school um and that's again that they're one of the luxuries of being that charter school is there's a most of the time there's the application right. so they can take kids or they don't have to take kids. Right. So they're pulling the cream of the crop from even my struggling schools. They're pulling the best of the best students from those schools mm. and basically wipe it out um, and t- kind of cherry picking kids from all over the place. So this is basically gentrification of the school system, it sounds like. 
yeah that's 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 the easy way to <laughs> i guess we won't we won't even jump into that deep uh into, into that deep on education america and i'll be glad we're gonna bring bj back whatever you want we can do it we're gonna bring bj back man because he hasn't been on a lot of the podcast or any of the podcasts because he's so busy behind the scenes but we're gonna have carol pushing back to I the front of the stage we're gonna we're gonna have like, carol like pushing back, back. <laughs> i like i like i like singing in the background man i like to observe and listen to everybody and i just keep my peace man. keep my peace I got you. Well, let's fast forward a little bit on to Fledgeology, man. So how did you get involved with that? How did that come about? It's the relationship this bit of a year. Carol has ideas and dreams, and he said, BJ, I need you to do this, and it's a done deal. There's no question about it. Um, mm-hmm. There's certain people in your life that when you come across, they ask you for stuff. You just do it. There's no question about why or how. You just know it's going to get done because of their track record and their passion you know that this is something that they believe in so i'm going to do whatever i can to help them along um and that's really how we got started um we started talking about possibilities of speaking engagements and and building this brand um but i, I and that's not my territory at all that's why i say when i say <laughs> i'm behind the scenes i would do any logistic stuff whatever and it, my thing is like in my daily job i'm up in front of people like tomorrow morning i have to get up and talk in front of a school board but that's what i do because that's my job mm-hmm. do i like doing it what i prefer i prefer to empower somebody else who has dreams of moving on to that level mm-hmm. making sure they're good and making them push them out there and give them the experience to do it i do it because i gotta do it but preferably i i like to hang in the background and just listen and observe man you learn a lot about people and things that way i've learned that in life right right so i mean with your involvement with flagology from its early beginnings up until now man what do you what do you see that has changed a little bit with the dynamic we've grown in numbers but it's not actually quantity that's making it better it's quality like when you join the team when jay joined the team when mike joined the team carol again i go back to carol see stuff in people and see how they can add and not it's not for his benefit as a whole fledgeology will flourish mm-hmm. but it really is to push individuals to the best of their potential and again he sees that in people and this is a vehicle to help do that Mm-hmm. I don't see it as him recruiting, trying to recruit the best of the best. I mean, I think he has the best of the best. Don't get me wrong. I am biased, but I don't <laughs> think that was it. I think that when you step back and look at it, he sees something in individuals that, like, you know what? This man has something in him and he has potential. And maybe by helping him see that, he's going to make himself greater, which by in his vision makes us all greater. Um, we all add to the pot and, and make this a, a bigger thing. So Fledge Ali started off as an idea for him, but it's morphed into an extension for education. It's morphed into an extension for other talks and other avenues. And it's just a different way for everybody to put their top, pool their talents. Um, and again, create a vehicle that we may do great things in neighborhoods across the country. Um, and just make stuff happen, man. Exactly, exactly. De- Carol definitely has been playing chess with this thing for a long time. He has definitely been putting people. You said that right. He two he or three is, moves ahead of everybody in front of everybody. At, you have no idea what's going on. 
at, at any moment, but you just kind of take it because like you said, you believe in the man, you believe in his vision and he just instills something in you, you know, that I have BJ come to the front of the stage and, you know, be willing to jump out there and take that leap to have me take that leap and, you know, get on, you know, the podcast and start hosting the show or whatnot. So um, definitely, definitely agree with you on that vision there. Um, you know, that's 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 pretty much it, man. You know, I'm glad that we had this, the opportunity to have this conversation. I feel like, you know, I, we definitely have a much more in-depth view of who BJ is and even though he he may (laughs) he may not be on (laughs) we gonna try to pull him to the front every so often just so we get that little bit of that little bit of BJ on the show but there it is we got Wheezy we got BJ Mr. Brian Jones Mr. Logistics hey man I got many names a lot of people call me to my face some they don't but I don't give a damn so let's roll <laughs> Easy, man. So before we get out of here, before we close the show, is there anything you want to leave with the listeners? One of the biggest things that I am mean, thinking about that is really just that it, is, it may sound cliche, but I think people have forgotten how to dream. Um, I think people have forgotten that um, we talk about goals so much as the adult word, but take that take for a minute take that date take that that time frame take that plan off and just what is that that thing is going to motivate you every single day to get up and go to work no matter what that's going to motivate you to quit that job no matter what no matter if that job says either you do this or you're fired then peace i'm gone um what is it in life as far as career your passion whether it's um, working with something, whether it's artist, some artsy, whether it's music, whatever the case may be, man, we got to get back to st- stepping out there and just doing stuff for us because we're so much caught up in a rat race of day to day life that it drags us down. And again, as black men, we're victim to a lot of things in the world. But one of the biggest thing is that that lack of of us pushing each other. Um, to excellence, and again, that's what I think this this group is is a great example of how we can do that, and be examples to other people of why we should do that, and why um, when we are together, it's always it's it's always a good time. I think you can attest to that. But we got to get work done too. We got to push each other and get work done. Exactly. Um, so the thing is, keep dreaming. Um, and then, man, everybody needs to reach out to a kid at least once a day, man. I heard, I think part of my job, I get to interact with the chancellor of education for the state of Florida and the commissioner of education for the state of Florida on a pretty regular basis. If, if you look at um, the total workforce in the state of Florida. Um, and one thing he said the other day when I was with him was that I challenge everybody in here to just speak to a youth every single day. And not that youth you see and you know, just a random kid you on the street. Hey, how's your day going today? How you doing in school, man? All right, keep up the good work. Are you struggling? Oh man, do you have the right resources? Do you right? Are your teachers um asking you the right questions? Um, who's your mentor? Who you just ask? Reach out to a random kid every single day, man. Just you never know how what difference you may make just by asking one question and leading them to go ask another question to somebody else. Um. And it was, it was powerful when he said that. I mean, something that I personally do every day, but I never thought about leaving that as a message for others. So that's that kid you're walking down the street, interact with him. Don't be scared of him. Interact with him. Say hi. 
how you doing? How was your day at school? Oh, you don't like school? Well, tell me about that. Why not? Man, you know, there's a lot of things out here. You could be that guy sitting on the corner holding a sign asking for money, or you can be that guy over there driving that BMW putting gas in his car right now. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of things in between. Mm-hmm. So no matter which, you fall at either extreme or in the middle, You, it, but it's up to you. So, man, we just got a lot of work to do, man. And again, that's what drives me every day. My three in their sleep right now. And then the, all other millions out there every single day. What can we do to make this world a better place for them? Because we, we got a long way to go, man. <laughs> <laughs> but we're going to get there, man. If we can dream it, we can achieve it. That's what we're about we here with Flagology. That's what we're about on the 13th yes, floor, embracing those fears. And as you said, man, each one, reach one and teach one, man. Uh, you yes, know, sir. that's, that's, that's Brian's. That's his goal, man. Saving the world. One child at a time. So we're going to get to it, man. We got work to do. Let's get it. Yeah, let's do it, man. Like, yeah, and the last thing he's got, the true definition of success I learned is not how rich you are, how much money you make. It's how many other people are better off that you walk this earth. And if we could each encompass that, we're good, man. We're going to be all right. And that's what we here for. So like that, there it yes, is. Sir. That's the show. BJ, I appreciate you coming to spend time with me, man. And we definitely appreciate all of your behind the scenes efforts. And when you step to the front to join us on the 13th floor. So I definitely appreciate that fledge. But yeah, ladies and gentlemen, that's the show. So remember to subscribe, follow us on our social media sites, subscribe to our podcast so you stay up to date. And yeah, you can get to that fledge also. So there it is. Thank you for listening on the 13th floor where the furniture isn't always the best. But the views are amazing. There you go, baby. Now is your time to flinch.